In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about our predictions for 2019. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 424. Welcome to Startups for Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's going on this week, Rob? You know, I'm kind of stoked that my first book, Start Small, Stay Small, is now live on Audible only eight short years after I originally recorded it and have been selling the audiobook. <laughs> so what happened is back when I released, when I published the book and I recorded an audio version within a few months of, of releasing it, Audible wouldn't let individuals post audiobooks. So like I couldn't, there was no user ability and I emailed them and said, Hey, I've self-published a book and it's popular and it's, you know, get, getting traction and such. And I have a podcast. So there's a lot of people that want to hear the audio version, but how do I get this in? And they're like, yeah, we don't really offer that. You have to go through a publisher. So I just never did. And I've been selling, you know, the, basically the audio version from the website, startupbook.net is where it kind of starts small, stay small lives. But within a few years, I think they did release the, the ability to do that. And then it just wasn't a priority when I'm building and growing companies and running conferences. It's like kind of the last thing on the list. But I've had the last several months off, as you know, and I, I had the audio files. They had to be re, like re-engineered and, and remastered. And it was it's still the same reading, but it had to be re-rendered at a certain you know resolution or whatever. And luckily, I still had the original source files from 2010 because the mp3s i had that you know i've been selling are not a, at the bit rate that they need for for audible these days so i was able to i literally pulled them off of cds or dv i think it was dvd roms from our our old editor from whoever was editing us in 2010 <laughs> i pulled you know like wave files or something off of dvds and put them in dropbox that which is just amazing now right because back then it would have been on dvds because there was just nowhere else to store them you know that was our that was my long-term storage for these things and so our editor, uh, uh, Josh, for this podcast, he did, did a nice edit job on them. And uh, it's now live. We'll link it up in the show notes. It's for posterity. I actually just purchased it and I'm downloading it because, you know, I haven't listened to the audiobook in forever because it's not easily accessible. You know what I'm saying? It's like not when it's not in my Audible app, I just don't really listen to audiobooks. Do you? Like if someone sent you an audiobook of 12 MP3 files, you can't 2X it. You know, it's not easy to open in an app. Like it's it's a little bit clunky. Yeah, I probably would not. I mean, I might put it, I, I think I used to throw the thing, things like that into iTunes and I'd be able to listen there. But like, if it, unless it was, you know, quick to grab, like probably not. I mean, I've, been, I've actually been thinking about taking my book and put it out on Audible, but it's one of those things that's just been such a, a low priority for me to even look at. And now that you mentioned like the bit rate, I went back and I looked and I'm just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that what I've got is not, not, not enough. Yeah. The nice part is we do have Josh as a resource. So if you, as long as you have the pre MP3, whatever, if it's, if it's M4As or, or no, I guess it's AIFFs, right. Or the, are the lossless and WAVs then you could send those to him and he will he can re-render them in a way that, that Audible will accept. Yeah, I'm not sure if I do. I'd but have to it's look. still a project. It's still <laughs> yeah. a project and you have to get cover art and you have to, you know, it it wasn't 20 minutes of my time. It was a few hours of my time. And at that point, it's like, is this worth doing? It is a question that should probably be on, on your mind. Yeah, and that's part, that's part of why I haven't done it is because, you know, it just hasn't been, you know, worth my time to do that, so... 
That makes sense. And you know, one other thing I'm thinking about, like if you go to startupbook.net, I sell bundles and you know, I sell a, an EPUB version plus a paperback version plus an audio version and you can buy it in different combos. And even just managing that now, like in 2010, that made a lot of sense. And I have, it's literally fulfillment through PayPal. I built the fulfillment thing, you know, because there was no Gumroad and there was no, you know, I, I don't know if you, it was barely Kindle books at that point. So I built a bunch of stuff myself. And as I'm looking at it, I still get sales of this book. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know that I want that anymore. So I kind of just want to link out. If you want the audio, go to Audible. You know, if you want the electronic or the paperback, go to Amazon and everything's handled. Obviously, I make, you know, a little bit less money. Per per copy because they take their commission, but it just eliminates that that thing that I have to maintain. Yeah, and I mean just simplifying things on your end, just because of process, it makes things easier. I mean it's the it becomes a distribution channel for you, and then you only have to deal with that versus all the other things that you've kind of hacked together over the years. I mean I have the same thing with my book, and it's everything's done through Gumroad, and I just haven't changed it because it would be a pain in the neck to change. So how about you? What's up with you this week? Well, I've been planning out some of my uh, blue tech marketing efforts that I want to start in January and been looking at things like putting together a set of webinars. I've been expanding the number of emails that are into some of my various email campaigns, just that those are a little bit longer and they lead directly back to blue tech a little bit better, putting in some automations there and just kind of thinking more about how the different pieces connect to one another and how I can help move people through the, the sales funnel a little bit better than I have in the past. That sounds like a good project to be starting after the new year, you know, and to be thinking about it and planning it now so that you can hit the ground running right after the the holidays. I always think of it as like January 5th is the date in my head. And I, that's probably a Sunday this year, but that's kind of where January, between January 5th and January 7th is where we would like resume big pushes of of marketing. Yeah, I'm really just planning out what needs to get done because nothing's really going to happen between now and the end of the month. So the the stuff that needs to get done in preparation is going to take would take longer if, even if I wanted to try and launch it next week. It just just doesn't matter. So I'm gonna I'm planning the things out, gonna do the work between now and the end of the year, and then once the calendar flips over, really start pushing on some of those things because by that point I should be ready to go live with them. Sounds good. What are we talking about this week? Well, we are going to go into our predictions for 2019 this week. But before we do that, we're going to go back to episode 370 and talk about our 2018 predictions and see how well we did. Oh, dive into your first one. We'll do a one to five scale on these. Sure. So the first one, was I I had said that there was going to be uh, an economic downturn. And I said that things looked pretty good last year at about that time, but there's a lot of uncertainty and it felt to me like there were some economic problems that were starting to build up and there weren't any easy solutions. And I kind of pointed to the healthcare, I don't want to call it a crisis, but healthcare problems for small businesses in in the U.S. are are pretty bad. It's just awful trying to figure out how to deal with that. And then also looking at the idea that there might be a rise in unemployment. I didn't think that the housing market was going to go down very much, but I felt like it was going to be relatively flat. And I also thought that the stock market was going to level off, but not go down. And on most of those, I would say it's hard to judge some of these because it's not like there's a a standard or a number that you can point to for most of them with the exception of the stock market. I would say unemployment as well. Unemployment has not risen. Right. Like unemployment is at historic lows. So that one, I think that piece, I don't think you got. I think the stock market, you're not, I mean, it's leveled off and gone down. 
Well, if you look at from January 2nd to today, it is down by 300 points. Okay. So it's it's pretty close. Yeah, like, that's true. I mean, that's, that's real close. And in terms of unemployment, I think the actual number has gone down, but I also think the number of people looking who are actively looking and have stopped has gone up. That's hard to measure. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, but the other two, I don't know, like small service businesses will go out of business. I don't know that that's really happening yet. I mean, that's that's you're kind of talking about a recession at that point, and we're not in a recession. So, and then housing market won't go down very much; it'll be relatively flat. I think I was wrong on this one. I think it's gone up a little. Yeah, I think so. I would say so too. I mean, you know, real estate's local, but it's certainly there can certainly be national things. So, yeah. I, what, what do you give? What score do you give yourself on this? Because you're definitely not. It's not a one, but it's not a five either. You know. Yeah, I'd say three on this one because of those four things that I listed, the stock market will level off but not go down. I would say within 500 points either direction is still like leveling off because it could swing by 500 points in a day. So I would give that a five. But in terms of the the housing market won't go down very much. I thought that it was going to go down and it did not. So I would say that's a one. I think if you were to average all these things together, I think uh, and going to the other one, like small service businesses going out of business due to taxes and healthcare, I don't think that happens. The unemployment rise, I would say, according to the numbers, they that says no as well. But I think that if you were to dig deeper, then there's there's a lot of people who stopped looking for work. So I'd give that maybe a four and the other one a one. So average is probably around three, something like that, maybe a little bit less, but pretty close. My first prediction for 2018 was that 2018 will be the year of non-institutional startup funding, angels, crowdfunding, and ICOs. And, you know, if I were to rephrase this, I would not say non-institutional, I would say non-traditional, or it'll be the year of alternative startup funding. Because in hindsight now, looking back, it's like I had this inkling of something. I mean, we knew ICOs were happening. They've obviously cooled off at this point, but I do know that they're, you know, they're still in play. I think crowdfunding has been so-so. I mean, I've seen a few, like Hacker Noon is, is crowdfunding. But, you know, really it's this, the tiny seed model that I'm thinking about where it's, you know, a way to get money that doesn't look like traditional institutional venture capital, right? Where it feels more like an angel investment, but it it is technically institutional money. It's these alternative funding sources for people who would normally bootstrap, frankly. And there's that whole, there's the whole revenue-based debt financing, right? Like lighter capital, Bigfoot capital. There's a few others in that space. And then there's, you know, more the indie.bc, the tiny seed thing that I, that area that I see percolating and, and starting to happen. So, well, obviously tiny seed is, is just getting started now. So it really, 2018 was the year it announced, but it's not, you know, really going to be in full swing until 2019. So that's not completely accurate. So I, w- I wouldn't, certainly would not give myself a five on this. I will say that it, I'll probably give myself a three. So it's either a three or a four, and I tend to want to be a harsh critic of, of my own stuff. So I will say it's, a, it's about a three, but I actually think this is that we're at the beginning of a wave, right? Of, of all these non-traditional options. And so that is why I'm devoting the next several years of my life to to basically starting a company and a fund and an accelerator in this space because I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be big. So this prediction is I think it's correct. I just think it's perhaps a tiny bit too early. I think you cheat on these things sometimes. 
Why? Tell me. Because <laughs> you make a prediction, and then you're like, "Oh, and I'm this is if this isn't going to come true, I'm going to do it, and that'll make it true." <laughs> <laughs> that's how entrepreneurs cheat, huh? That's how. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I totally call you out on that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think if we have the power to do that, then we probably should. You know, that if we have the power to like change something that we think should exist, like, sure, uh, that's funny. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's a, it's a good point. Let me know how that works out for you in Vegas this year. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I'm not do that. How about you? What's your second prediction? My second one was that we would not see uh, U.S.-based legislation around in-app purchases and classification of uh, loot crates as gambling. And I don't know that we ever actually saw that. I think it died down. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about it initially, and then after that, it just kind of went away because the game makers decided, oh, we're going to change how these things are done, and it just kind of silently died. <laughs> yep. My second prediction was that artificial intelligence and machine learning would continue to be marketed as the next big thing, but would not deliver again in 2018. And specifically, I think I was talking about how you know every... Mart, every marketing SaaS app says, especially the venture-funded ones, oh, we're going to be AI for email or AI for your landing pages or machine learning for your data set to do blah, blah, blah. And everybody's marketing. And, and they're really, most people don't have the data sets that are big enough to actually use machine learning. Most of them, a lot of the machine learning ones are just saying, oh, it's, it's noise anyways. You know, it's, it's really hard to do this right. And my prediction was kind of people would continue to overpromise, use it as a buzzword to raise funding and, and make promises that would kind of come true, maybe a little bit, but that it was not going to be this thing of like, holy crap, someone really finally made this happen. And so my personal opinion is this was a five. Like I definitely continue to see AI and ML in both startup pitches and on marketing websites. And I have yet to see something that has like been a groundbreaking shift in like specifically a MarTech app or really a, I don't know, any kind of SaaS app that I'm looking at. My third prediction was that Uber is not going to regain the ground that they've lost. And that was kind of based on a lot of the the scandals that were plaguing the company. And uh, I looked back, I did a little bit of research on this. And uh, one article I found pointed to the second quarter of this year where they lost almost $900 million. And then there was another article I found where they were sh- it was kind of graphing the Uber versus Lyft market share. And Lyft is continuing to go up and Uber is continuing to go down. I don't know how much of that I would attribute to the fact that now there's like a second entrant, but at the same time, if Lyft is eating into Uber's market share, then it's because they're growing and they're growing faster than Uber is. So I have a hard time on figuring out whether or not that means that Uber is not regaining their the lost ground. I think that you are correct on this one. Like I think I think this is a five based on market share. Because that's what you and I, that's what I would have thought when you said regain the ground they've lost. Losing money is nothing new for them, right? They've lost hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars every quarter, I think, for years, which is why they've had to raise so, so much money. So that part I'm not, I'm not concerned about. But you wrote this prediction around the time where there was the big kerfuffle where where Travis, the CEO, got kicked out. And there was uh, the big article written about, or several articles written about the toxic culture and the bro culture. And they became kind of the poster child of you know, what's wrong with Silicon Valley companies in quotes. It's not in quotes because it's not real, but it's just the the thing that happened at the end of, of 2017 was that a lot of this stuff started coming out. So all that to say, 
I think that if you saw a graph, because I have not seen a graph of market share, but if you saw a graph where Lyft is going up and they're going down, I think very, very much so that that was partially caused by, if not entirely caused by that whole kerfuffle that went down. I always now look for Lyfts first and I used to always look for Ubers first. And when this all happened, I switched. And I know a ton of people who deleted their Uber app altogether. It's just, you don't want to, you know, some people don't want to support, a lot of people don't want to support a, a company that's acting that way towards its, its own employees. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the reason I was a little confused about the graph was just because it, it's a trend line that basically shows that, and it doesn't really change. Like Uber's market share is continuing to go down and Lyft's is continuing to go up, but it's showing that back as early as 2016. So it's like, well, is that directly caused by that? And I don't think that it is. I think that it's just that Lyft is doing better in general than Uber is. And they're, they're, kind of eating them alive at this point. But I, I do think that those other things that we just talked about kind of play into that. I don't think that I see them recovering from this anytime in the near future. And I don't think that it's just because of the PR things or the things that are going on internally. I think that it's just they don't have a good sense of how to basically break ground against Lyft. Yeah, right. So you're saying it's like Lyft kind of is doing a better job of, of executing or whatever. I don't disagree with that, you know, that it's just a, a competition that Lyft is, has hit their stride and Uber had enough stumbles that, that they're getting ground made up on them. I still think Uber is, I mean, it's an amazingly wildly successful company. It's still worth a ton of money. And I do think they'll be fine. Like both of them have filed for IPOs, right? So both Uber and Lyft should have an IPO in the, in the next, I don't even know, two, three, four months. So there's going to be massive liquidity and there's going to be, Decamillionaires and millionaires coming out of both of those. It's interesting to think long term. Will there be two of them? Will they ever consolidate? I don't know. I mean, they're both still pretty healthy. Even even as as hard as Uber got hit, it's still a you know I think a quite a successful company. Even though it's obviously it's losing money, and so there's this argument to be made. You know, could it withstand a recession or whatever? But I think if they just pull back growth, they could start pulling. You know, actually making profit. My next prediction for 2018 was that there would be an enormous crash in Bitcoin's valuation, but that long term, I'm still bullish. What do you think? You think I called this one, Mike? I, I think you hacked somebody's servers I, and made this crash happen. That's you're an entrepreneur, right? You do you make things happen? I did not do that, <laughs> and I give myself a six on this one because, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just an inclination, just of the volatility of this whole space, right? And sometimes I say these things because. Yes, I own many different cryptocurrencies. And I was saying this to myself in my head of like, there's going to be a crash so that I'm prepared for it when it happens. You know, it's kind of the worst case scenario. But I definitely thought that there would be some some volatility and got lucky on this one. Yeah, especially if you, you know, saw that coming. And in, in the middle of that run up too, like you have to be very aware of the fact that it is a run up and it's like, well, how how much longer is this going to last before it pulls back and how hard is it going to pull back? Yeah, I you were definitely right on this. I'd give you a six on it too. Yeah, I mean, when it, you know, Bitcoin went from twelve hundred to eighteen thousand dollars in eighteen months or something, or maybe it was even twelve months. It was insane. So this is this prediction was. I mean, yes, at the time there was the there was irrational exuberance, and people were like, "It's going to a hundred thousand, and it's going to two hundred thousand. And I was just kind of like, "I don't think this has the you know this has the staying power in the short term." But again, you know, I said at long term, I'm still bullish, and I have another 
prediction this year about it. My fourth prediction for 2018 was that cryptocurrencies will be regulated by several large governments. And this has happened. I think there's been quite a bit of, of regulation in different countries around the world. And I think what's interesting is the longer cryptocurrencies are around, there's less of a question of oh, it's this new thing. Is it going to stick around? It's more like, yes, it's going to stick around. How do we classify it? How do we regulate it? How do we measure it? How do we tax it? And that it's kind of become, you know, maybe the crash helped it. It's like become this thing that's just there. It's just hanging around. And I, I think it's going to become more and more of a ubiquitous part of kind of what we're doing day to day. So do you want to kick us off for uh, 2019? What's your first 2019 prediction? You said you've got something for this year. Indeed. My first 2019 is a crypto prediction. I think there will continue to be ups and downs in 2019. It's continued volatility across, you know, all the cryptos, cryptocurrencies, but that there will be no major boom in 2019. That there will not be a run-up like we saw last year. I am still bullish long-term. I want to be clear. I still own cryptocurrencies, but I don't think we're going to get the two, three, five hundred percent bump up that we saw in 2018. I think it'll either be a, just a gradual thing over the course of the year, or it'll just bump along up and down. And then I think in a future year, we'll, we'll once again see a run up like we saw. Do you think it's kind of done being highly volatile? Because, you know, even just in the past several weeks, it's lost like half its value, which is, that's a lot. Or at least if we're specifically talking about Bitcoin, because obviously each cryptocurrency is different, but most of them tend to track on, on Bitcoin's progress. I think it will continue to be volatile. I think it's just the nature of it for now, while it's this unknown, unknown entity, you know, this this asset class that people aren't exactly sure what to do with. I think there's still going to be, there's still going to be people manipulating it, which causes some of the volatility. I think there's still going to be people speculating it, which causes volatility. So yeah, that's my, my gut feeling. Yeah. I look at Bitcoin and, you know, the cryptocurrencies and they're one of those things where I, I wish there was more regulation around it, but I also understand why there's not going to be any time in the very near future. Obviously, governments are making an effort to do that kind of stuff, but until there's federal backing and insurance on it, there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens. You know, the, the, the exchange gets cracked open and, you know, they lose all the Bitcoins and everything like that stuff's going to happen. There's not much you can do to prevent it. And that's going to help cause that volatility. How about you? What's your first prediction for the year? So this one's a little bit of a tag on to last year. And I, I think that there's going to be a start to emerge a global downturn that's going to be in full swing and it's going to be obvious. So I think that before we were seeing signs of it and I'd say last year's prediction was probably half right, half wrong. And I think that that's going to continue, but not me being half right, half wrong, but the, uh, the downturn, so to speak. And I think we're going to start seeing more signs of it. And I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I see these little things happening here and there and I'm it just makes me wonder because it kind of goes back to, you know, 10 years ago or so. And I don't think that we're going to hit a global economic recession that causes some massive crisis like we did last time back in 2008. But I do think that it's going to be noticeable. I think either you or I makes that prediction every year <laughs> and has for like three or four years. So I uh, hope you're wrong, but I'm thinking that you're probably going to be accurate on that one. Is that like predicting it's going to rain? I mean, eventually, eventually you're going to be right. I, that's kind of, <laughs> I think that's kind of what we're doing here. Okay. My second prediction is that 2019, this is a bold one, 2019 will be the year of augmented reality. And really deep down, I question if it will, but I wanted to make one, at least one prediction that I was super unsure about. And it's kind of, it's kind of a big proclamation. Like I kind of want 
AR or VR to catch on. I want it to be cool and accessible and I want to do stuff with it. But every time I've tried VR, it's just like, meh, you know, it's not there yet. And I think that AR is probably a more viable thing. So, you know, cause you're not sitting there with a, you know, big old mask on your face. You can't see anything else in the room. Whereas AR, there's just so many real applications of it that I think can take hold. So whether 2019 will actually be the year of it or whether it'll take longer is another thing. But my prediction is that it's going to be this year, Mike, in the next 13 months. Now, when you say there's a whole mess of applications that it could be used for, are you thinking more consumer or are you thinking more like industrial and factory type things? Because it seems to me like that would be the place where it would start and then eventually it would move over into mainstream consumer. Because I don't see anything out there where like an augmented reality is really something that people would buy into just yet. I definitely see the industrial applications of it, but not like practical things that people would use on a regular basis. Yeah, I like the way you're thinking. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking about as well is when I say practical applications, I do mean kind of B2B stuff, which means people will pay money for it. And if you're on a factory floor and you can, you know, look over and whatever, see the instructions, how to do things, or you can see the inventory levels, or if you're, if you're a surgeon and you look down at a patient and then there's an overlay of what should be there and where you should cut or whatever. I mean, there's just incredible, you know, for pilots, for all kinds of, of applications where this could work. Now, I also think that even on our phones, you know, you can imagine having Yelp augment reality around you, right? You just, you hold your phone up, kind of like, have you ever done the ones where the apps where you can look at the stars Yeah, I've and seen you those. hold them up, you know, I mean, that's essentially augmented reality, right? And those are cool and those are fun, but I mean, what are the consumer applications of this? Could you hold your phone up as cars are coming through? It, you hold your Uber app or your Lyft app up and it will just have a, a big sign over your Uber. Because especially when you're at a crowded airport, it's often hard to find things out and they're trying to do it right now with these lights that sit on the dashboard. But like, what if you were able to, to hold that up and just see. And that's a maybe a clunky example of it. I think once we get some contact lenses or some better version of like a Google Glass type thing, that would be even better, right? Because then you don't have to hold your phone up and it's just kind of projected into your eye so that you can see things that are augmented, which is not going to happen in 2019. But those are the kinds of, I, I think, consumer applications that could that could do it. But I, I think you're probably right. I think B2B may be the, the place that, that makes it work and makes it more affordable. You know, you answered my question throughout that, even though I didn't directly ask it because I was what I was really interested in was how do you see it working? And what it sounded to me like you're saying is it's not a wearable that is kind of on all time. It's you're carrying your device around and then you can use it in certain situations when you recognize the situation to augment the data that you receive. And, you know, it can show you, hey, this is what you should be exactly looking at. So it's the difference between something like Google Glass that you wear all the time versus, oh, you pull out your phone and then see the additional stuff. Right. That would be the idea. I don't think you're going to wear this stuff all the time. Most people aren't going to do that unless you're on a factory floor and you might need to, then you do put on, you put on safety goggles and maybe it projects, you know, in, under your eye. And if you're a surgeon, I mean, they often, or a dentist, you know, they often wear the glasses anyways that have a, a magnifying something or other, like have augmentation there. It, this makes a lot of sense. And they don't wear those all the time, but they wear it when they're doing surgery or when they're doing a procedure. You know, same thing perhaps for pilots. I don't know if it would be, and they already have a heads up displays in certain aircrafts, but that's where it just makes more sense. And you don't have to do extreme behavior changes for people to, to start adopting this. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about the the social context or you know social problems that are associated with that stuff. I mean, when 
when I think about some of this stuff, it kind of reminds me of a project that I worked on at Wegmans back in, I think it was like 2000 or 2001, where they had this voice recognition unit and I had to program things to integrate into like the wireless system to, for the warehouse. So they could go to a spot and they had to like, there's all these people wandering around the warehouse on with these, you know, power lift jacks and they had to grab things out of the warehouse so that they could put it on the trucks and they would just talk to this thing and it would tell them what it is that they needed. And you fast forward 15 years and now tablets exist and you can do that kind of stuff now in a visual format, whereas before it was just text only and, you know, speech to text recognition. My second prediction for 2019 is that esports leagues will get a dedicated TV channel. And uh, having done the research on this after the fact, I realized now that there is already one in existence. I was going to say, I think this exists. Yeah, and yeah it's not I didn't, Twitch. I didn't but... realize it. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing is that was that it was not going to be Twitch because yeah. obviously there's streaming systems out there. Obviously, people stream out on YouTube. My kids watch that stuff like constantly. Whenever they get a chance, they want to watch other people playing video games. And I'm just like. I've had this discussion with my half brother who he, his comment on it was you will watch a football game or a baseball game. How is watching somebody play video games any different than that? Because you're not involved. You're not directly playing. You're just being entertained by the fact that somebody else is playing. And it's a good point to make. And I think that it especially applies to people who grow up around this technology and they're able to watch other people play those types of things versus Back when I was a kid, like you either went to a ball game someplace or you watched it on TV. And now there's other things that people are finding interesting, like sports leagues, esports leagues and video games. And they want to watch that stuff as well. And they have their own personal heroes and people that they follow. Right. And I feel the same way as you do about it. It makes no sense to me, which truly proves that we are old <laughs> and, that, and that people should get off our lawn. But my kids, my kids, at least my oldest one really likes it. And something that, that I've realized is it's not just that he's watching someone else play video games. It's that this someone else is way better than most people, you know, is way better than him at it and has witty banter, right? Is saying funny things. So they're entertained along the way. It's not just like when we used to go to the arcade and, you know, when your buddy was playing Donkey Kong, you were bored because A, your buddy wasn't saying witty things and B, your buddy wasn't that good at it. You know, it wasn't a, a, any better than you were at it. But like, if you put those two things, if you sat and watched someone live on a, on a stand-up arcade machine who was making these hilarious quips and, and doing well and, you know, on level 50 when you can only make it to level five, like that actually is intriguing, you know, when, when I started thinking about what's actually going on there. So I'm personally not, you know, I'm not a fan of esports in, te- in terms of I don't, I don't watch any of them, but I do see, I think I'm, I, I've seen the appeal and how it could, you know, appeal to, to folks who are into it. Yep. So I'm going to cross this one off just because it's not applicable, yeah. but I came up with that and I just like, oh, I think that this could be a thing and Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Cool. My third prediction is that there will be Facebook will face antitrust issues. And due to that, whether it's negative press, I mean, they're already, they're already, you know, they're, they're not having a great couple months right now. I think it's going to get worse for them. And I think that it's going to open up the possibility of there being like a new social network that comes about in 2019. And I, what I don't, I don't mean the next Facebook, but, you know, much like you would say Instagram's a social network, or you'd say even, you know, these messenger apps like, you know, WhatsApp and uh, Snapchat, I would call social network, right? I mean, these, these aren't things that just replicated or replaced Facebook, but they are new forms of it. 
and, and new takes on social networking. And I think that door will open even wider based on perhaps, I don't know if I'm going so far as to say there'd be declining use of Facebook, but that at least, you know, I'm imagining growth is going to slow down pretty precipitously for them. Wouldn't the growth slow down just due to market saturation as well? I'm going to get a five on this, Mike, just because <laughs> you just gave away my secret. No, it might. It might. I haven't honestly looked at that. I mean, to, to be honest, the prediction is not that growth is going to slow down, right? My prediction is that there's going to, Facebook's going to continue to face antitrust issues or start facing antitrust issues if they're not already. And that that will make way for the rise of like a, another social network to come. And frankly, maybe, maybe Facebook buys them too. Uh, it's not out of the question. You know, they bought Instagram and, and it was a good call, right, for them to do that. So I just think it's going to, I think this is a two-part prediction basically. Got it. I just wanted to clarify that last piece. Yeah, the, yeah. The growth piece. Totally. So, so my, uh, I'll call this my second prediction here. So I think that there's going to be something quote unquote bad that happens with involving Tesla, SpaceX, or, or Elon Musk, possibly at least two out of the three. And, and looking at it, it's like, I, I don't know how to define something bad. Uh, like other than like, I don't, I don't think anything's going to specifically happen to Elon Musk. Like he gets in a car crash and dies, but that's certainly obviously a possibility, but I think it's going to be more likely that he starts making some bad decisions. I mean, he's already had to step down from his CEO position at Tesla because of some of the things that he said on Twitter that influenced the, the stock price. And, you know, the SEC came after him and basically had to pay this massive fine and step down for three years. And I see that, I feel like something along those lines is going to progress and maybe he has to step away. Maybe they push him away from, you know, Tesla because maybe he can't keep his mouth shut or something along those lines. I, I don't know what, and I just have, but I just kind of have a feeling about that based on what I've seen in his behavior. It seems very erratic. Is this a prediction or it kind of a continuation of what's already going on? You know, I mean, because like you said, something bad has already happened, right? He's been basically asked by the SEC to leave. You know, he had to settle with them because they were going to sue sue him. I don't know if that's the right word. They were going to do really bad things. They they fined him 20, I think it was $20 million, and they made him step down as CEO for a period of three years. Yeah, for three years. So that's something bad has already happened to him. So you're just saying something else bad. I'm saying something else, which is going to be in addition to the stuff that has already happened. So like maybe he does something else and the board says, look, you're out. Or like SpaceX gets some contract and instead of, you know, putting something into space, the thing blows up on the way up or, you know, it's trying to land it and it's, the thing goes just gets destroyed. And it's not going to be one of their tests. It's going to be like something actually important. And I think something like that is just, it's going to bite them. I don't know what. Oh, Mike, this is such a, this is such a morose prediction, man. Jeez. I, know. I hope you're I don't not want right. It to happen. I, I don't want it to happen, but yeah. You're like uh, the shorts, you know, the people who bet against the stock market. And it's like, they're right sometimes, but nobody likes the shorts because they're negative. You know, they're, they're basically against the market. So you're kind of betting against these companies. So I'm not saying that no one should like you. I was just pointing out that there was a similarity. So that was a weird, a weird thing to go down. Anyways, my fourth prediction. And, you know, one of the predictions I'm most proud of, actually, Mike, or one, one that I remember is, I don't remember if it was for 2017 or 2016, but I predicted that I, I was contemplating that Twitter would 
have like major issues, like that they would see their growth decline and they would start because they were growing super fast, right? And they were just one of the many social networks. And obviously Twitter has continued to have a slide. And so I'm actually, I was proud of that one. I picked the year, stumbled upon the right year that, that they did start to decline. And my prediction for this year, 2019, is that Twitter gets acquired by someone. Yeah. I don't, even have a guess as to who i just think i mean they're a public company so they you know they'd have to be like obviously they get acquired by tiny seed this is t- i'm calling bullshit there it is nice <laughs> making stuff come true am i right yes that's that's good yeah no i mean it's uh, it's certainly possible I don't, I don't know like isn't jack dorsey the he's the founder right he's one of the i mean he's Ev Williams yes, one of the co-founders founder, yeah He's the CEO right now, and he's also the CEO of Square, Square isn't he? Yeah. Got it. Which is which has got to be interesting. <laughs> it's got to be a challenge, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like like he's got, I don't want to say a stranglehold on it, but it seems like he's trying really hard to manage all the, the problems that are coming up in, inside of Twitter and with, like, people harassment and things like that. And, and I don't feel like he's doing a particularly great job, but at the same time, I'm not tracking every single thing that they're doing and how they're handling stuff. I definitely see situations where it's just handled really, really poorly. And everyone seems to think that except him, but I don't know. It's an interesting prediction. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's been a criticism of Twitter for the past year or two is that they're just not doing enough to stem the harassment and they're, you know, they're just not, they're not, they don't have verified accounts anymore or they have them, but you can't get verified anymore. And they said, Hey, we're going to come out with a new verified process. And that was, ages ago, you know, and there's no new process. So it's like, what are they doing in there that, that they can't get this stuff done is, has been the criticism. I don't care that much in all honesty. I don't, you know, I'm not captain. I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm on now and again, but it's not something that's part of my daily or even weekly regimen. But I think that they're going to be ripe for an acquisition. And I don't know if the acquirer will be able to turn this stuff around or not, but that's probably what the, you know, the intent will be. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who would even acquire them. And I don't, know who that would be facebook microsoft no i don't i'm just kidding yeah yeah so my last prediction is that amazon is going to overtake apple in terms of net worth market market cap market cap yes i know it's sort of close but i think that they are going to not only overtake them but in a solid and definitive way so i think they're both somewhere in the 800 million dollar range or something like that and i think amazon is going to surpass them and they may even be the first to hit one trillion or has apple did apple hit that at one point apple, and then drop apple hit it yeah yep, they already hit it but anyway i, th- I think amazon's going to be solidly in front of apple and the only way i see that not happening is if they take aws and spin it out as its own sub company and it's independently operated mm-hmm. which is also a possibility i think yeah i do too I think that's an interesting prediction. I mean, especially given, you know, you're talking about this global downturn, which would imply that stocks will continue to slide. And so they're both, in theory, going to go down. So you're predicting that Apple's going to go down more than Amazon if you tie those two predictions together. Yeah, I guess so. It's, I don't know, it's hard to say whether or not that both of those would actually go down. I, I do think that Apple is probably headed for a downturn. I think that they've they've saturated the market so much at this point with their phones. And what was it? Recently, they started increasing the prices and they said that they are not going to continue releasing sales numbers for units. I don't think, I think that's what it was. So essentially what they're doing is they're kind of hiding what their their actual sales are in 
terms of like what the revenue they're going to provide revenue but they won't provide like actual unit sales so you won't be able to tell independently whether or not they sold more or less based on those numbers alone because everything's kind of aggregated it just makes it harder to tell like whether they sold more from one year to the next yeah and who knows right i mean Amazon has done that with their Kindles and Apple's done that with different device categories that they just keep in in other devices, you know, like Apple TV. I don't, at one point they were not releasing any numbers for that. And then I think when something gets successful, they break it out. So not uncommon for them to do that, but it, it definitely is, it is interesting. So I feel like this is a good prediction, actually. I just think unless Apple comes out with, you know, with a breakthrough something in the next year or two, they're, they are just incremental improvements on good technology. I like their hardware, but there's been nothing you know groundbreaking that's really captured the market, whereas Amazon continues to innovate and continues to just kind of have cool stuff. I mean, you, you think about AWS, multi-billion dollar business, uh, Amazon Alexa, they're way ahead of, of everyone else in terms of the smart home stuff. I mean, they're, they're just pushing things forward and I have become a fan of Amazon's products. Even there, I mean, that Kindle Paperwhite is the first one was super clunky, and then man, they just get better and better. So Amazon certainly is doing a good job executing. So I don't, I don't, I think you're going to be right on this one. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, your point on the on Apple just making incremental improvements. I mean, I still have an iPhone six. S plus, I think, and I'd say there's six plus or six S plus, I forget which. I mean, it's several years old and like, I have no compelling reason to upgrade, like none whatsoever. So my wife got one just because her old one was a, a iPhone five and it just, it, there were certain things that just would not run. So she kind of needed to upgrade and it kind of made sense, but I don't see Apple coming out with anything. The watch was nice, but it's not a game changer for them in terms of revenue. And with AWS, I mean, that's, that's the, biggest cloud platform on the planet and only Microsoft is behind them with Azure, but that's still a 40, $50 billion a year industry for them. Yep. And there's Google app engine as well, right? That's the, that'd be yep. the other one. Yep. That's the, that's number three. I'm looking at an article here that says Amazon's revenue says 44 billion for AWS, 19 billion for Azure, and then 17 billion for Google. So, yep. Crazy, crazy numbers. Crazy. Well, sir, we should probably wrap this up. Sounds good. We will see how we do about 12 months from now. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsoftherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsoftherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.